Shalom again. This is Reverend John Ferrett, and we're part two of lesson seven. And when we take a look at Exodus chapter three, verses one through eight, it's pretty clear that all of a sudden God is introducing himself. He's basically coming and through Moses to the world, basically said, Hello, uh, I'm God. And Moses is picked by God uh, at this point. Now, he's probably about 80 years old. Uh, he was about probably, again, the assumption is probably 40 years old when he left Egypt or escaped from Egypt. And then he was 40 years uh, in Midian. And one thing I wanted to bring up is that the Midianites, his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Reuel, his brother-in-law, Jethro, all Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham. This is important. This will come up later. Uh, it's also going to be important right now, but they are descendants of Abraham. You can check this out in Genesis, Genesis 25, verse 2. Now, the word, or, or God's name, Yahweh, and again, in our Bible, in the Christian Bible, or in New American Standard or King James, if you see the word Lord all capitalized, that means in the original Hebrew is God's name, Yahweh, yud heh vav -Hey. Now, it hasn't been revealed yet. And so, God wants to begin to establish a relationship with Moses. He wants to have yada with Moses. Now, yada is a Hebrew word that means experiential knowing. Not head knowledge, but the experience of walking with God, living with God, being with God. When you're in Exodus, uh, Genesis chapter 4, it said that uh, in the New American Standard of King James that Moses knew his wife. The word there is yada, and they had a son. So that means that you, that's experiential knowing quite definitely. Now, God says specifically that he is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He did not say that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you go into the JPS Torah commentary, Nahum Sarna will talk about that. He's the God. He is the God of Abraham. And he had Yada with Abraham in a unique and special way that was different than the Yada that he had with Isaac. So the God of Abraham is not different from the God of Isaac. It's the same God. But the experiential relationship was different with Isaac as, as it was the experiential relationship with Jacob. Their lives were different. God relating to them was different. And so we have the continuity of the promise as well. God promised Abraham. The, the promise went to Isaac, and God verbalized it to Isaac as he, will, as he did to Jacob. So we have this continuance. It's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Very precise. But God did not say he's the God of Abraham and the God of Midian. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham, but they were not part of the promise. The promise goes through Isaac and then through Jacob. It does not go from Abraham to Midian. So this phraseology is a way of God saying, the covenant goes this way, not through Midian. 
So being God is being very precise. So Yahweh is the God of the covenant, first to Abraham, and then from Abraham to Isaac, and then from Isaac to Jacob, and from Jacob to all of Israel, not Midian. So he needs to establish this foundation with Moses. He needs to establish this Yada with Moses. Now, Moses marries a Midianite, Zivorah, but he's a Levite. He is obviously a descendant of Jacob, of the tribe of Levi. We, we would say Levi. And God is telling Moses, I'm the God of your fathers. You're part of the covenant. And so, in here we have God basically saying, not only just hello to Moses, but he's saying hello to all of us. Right here, God is trying to say who I am, what I'm about, and to reestablish where this is all coming from. Now, in verses 7 and 8 of Exodus chapter 3, Yahweh, the Lord, because that's what it says there, we have the all cap letters in the New American Standard. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So he comes down to deliver them and bring them to the promised land. Now, here... That is, the promised land is described as the place of six nations. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, get any good Bible atlas, and the scholars will give you an indication of, again, from the studies and the research of archaeology and so on, the likely places where these six, call them clans of Canaanites, actually lived in the promised land. Now in Exodus 33 verse 2 we get the same six names again. God is saying to Moses, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out, here we go, the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So those six again are repeated. But then Something changes when we get to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, a name is added to the list. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites, there's the new one, the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. So we read that there. You will also find this in Joshua chapter 3, verse 10, and in Joshua 24, verse 11. So once we get to Deuteronomy and so on, it's the seven pagan clans of Canaanites that God is going to drive out. The seventh name is Girgashites. With regards to the Girgashites, 
this group seemed to be around the Sea of Galilee and perhaps even on the east side of the Galilee. So when you go into the Gesenius lexicon, Hebrew lexicon, Girgashites, it's Strong's Numbers H1622, and we find by tapping into Gesenius and then being able to study the Greek, Gergeshites is translated into the Greek as Gerasenes, and that Strong's number is G1086. Now we know God is the universal God. He is the God of all nations. God's promise to Abraham is that through him all families of the earth will be blessed. However, now you'd have to go back to the Gospel according to Moses, the Genesis series, Lesson 25, to actually delve into that the Hebrew has a very inter interesting construct in Genesis 12, verse 3, where it says, All the families of the earth uh, will be blessed through you, Abraham. Because of the construct, the very unique construct that only appears in chapter 12, verse 3, it could also mean, the exact translation could also mean that through you all nations of the earth will be grafted in. Wow. God is the God of all nations. He wants all nations to be grafted in. This makes sense. Paul knew about this because the rabbi in the Talmud who has discovered this probably lived either at the same time Paul did or a little bit after, which means that Paul and this rabbi, they may not have known each other, they may have known each other, we're not sure, but at the same time both of these guys are basically saying, grafted in. God wants us to be grafted in to his covenants by the blood of Jesus and we're grafted in to Israel and grafted into the promises and we become adopted into God's family wow so Moses is going to be reintroduced to the God of Abraham and he's going to be used to bring Israel and they are going to be renewed. They are going to be recreated. It's, it's a new creation. It's a resurrection of Israel. Because they become a nation. A nation of priests. And in Isaiah 42.6 and in Isaiah 49.6 we find out that Israel is to be a light to all the nations to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. God's Yeshua to the ends of the earth. So God knows his task for his people. He's got to get them out. He's got to restore them for this task. And Jesus' name is salvation. Yes, from Israel comes Jesus, the Messiah and the Savior. Okay, this establishes a couple of things. One, that the promised land, you can look at it as six clans of Canaanites or seven. Remember the Girgashites, and the Girgashites in Greek is Gerasenes. 
We also establish the fact now too that God is the God of all nations. And then we remember a story, events in Jesus' life where he goes to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the lake, and he goes there twice. In Mark 5 verses 1 through 20, he heals the demoniac and he goes to the land of the Gerasenes. He goes to the land of the Gergeshites. He returns there and he feeds 4,000. Now later, this area, and in Jesus' day, it was called the Decapolis. It really was begun by Alexander the Great. They established a number of Greek cities, about 10 of them, and these were troops in his army when he was on his military quest to conquer the world. And they mustered out, and he gave them land and uh, in the area. And so, indeed, this is some of the land of some of his troops as a reward for their service. Later on, the Romans come in, and they actually name it the Decapolis, ten cities. This is the area of the Gerasenes. But like I said, Gerasenes is Greek for Gergeshites. This is the area of the seventh pagan tribe. Or, it's a picture of, really, all seven pagan tribes. Because this is the pagan area. In Jesus' area, the Decapolis, the east side of the Sea of, uh, the sea of Galilee, is the pagan area. Now, Jesus is God. He's the Savior of all people, Jew and Gentile. Now, the Gospels definitely say that in the area of where the religious Jews lived, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and so on, he feeds 5,000. And how many baskets did they fill after he fed the 5,000 in the area where religious Jews lived? 12 baskets. Huh. You say, wait a minute, that reminds us of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 baskets. And he feeds 5,000 in the area where religious Jews lived. The New Testament and the events of the demoniac and the feeding of the 4,000 suggest it's on the east side of the lake, probably the area of the Gerasenes or the Gergeshites. He feeds 4,000. And how many baskets are full? Seven. Jesus is feeding 4,000 in the area of the pagan region called the Decapolis. And there's seven baskets. A reminder of the seven Canaanite clans that were pushed out by God. But now the salvation of the Lord Yeshua is going out to the ends of the earth. The salvation of Yahweh is Jesus. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. <laughs> Jesus is the bread of life to the Jews. Twelve baskets. Jesus is the bread of life to the Gentiles. Seven baskets. What a picture. The fulfillment of of all of this as we read this in Exodus chapter 3 
is that God is going to bring Israel into the promised land. And through that, from Israel, spreading out through the entire world, not just the Decapolis, that through Israel, through the disciples of Yeshua, who are all Jewish, that they were going to go to the ends of the earth to witness of Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. So remember the goals of the gospel according to Moses, the Torah, the, the Torah series, both in Genesis and Exodus. Jesus said in John 5.39 that all scripture testifies of me. He said it probably in 24 to 30 AD. And we have to say, how did those Hebrews hear it? How did those Jews first hear it in Jesus' day? How did they understand it? Because we want to understand what they heard so that it will enrich and enhance our understanding. For us today, we take a look at Exodus and Moses is termed the first redeemer by the Jewish people to redeem all Israel. He's like a god to Pharaoh. And Moses brings them to the mountain of God so they can enter a new covenant at the mountain of God. But then this is a picture. This is a picture of the ultimate Redeemer. Messiah. Jesus. God in the flesh. Isn't that interesting? Moses is going to be like a God to Pharaoh. God even says that. We'll be coming across that shortly as we continue on in Exodus. But Jesus is God. And he has come to redeem Jew and Gentile. And he establishes his new covenant, the new covenant, at the mountain of God, Jerusalem. So let's turn back to him now. Let's turn back now before it's too late. Turn back now before it's too late, because someday the great last shofar will sound, and Jesus will return to take the king the chair of the king, the throne of the king in Jerusalem to judge the nations of the earth. Are you ready? Are you ready for that great day? For the day that he returns is the day the Lord created and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Shalom.